to me, being a community-supported baker is cultivating relationships. Mm. Like, it's it's not localized Instagram ads. It's not a, a cool sticker or, you know, you paid a graphic designer this much and this much for your brand. It's really ingraining yourself, pun intended, I suppose, in your community. Um, and so all of my subscribers, it's not just, you know, they get a loaf home delivered on their doorstep one day a week, but I, I know their stories. This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative trailblazers in the sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. On this episode, we return to our theme of the cottage baker with my guest, Justin Gomez. Justin talks about his career journey and early bread influences that encouraged him to pursue baking full-time. He explains the family ties and values behind the name Humble Bakehouse and shares his valuable experiences and insights on starting and growing a cottage bakery. I wanted to give a quick shout out to my most recent podcast supporters who have donated to the podcast, Dan Cook, and my first repeat giver, Terry Coletto. Thank you so much for your generosity and support and the encouraging words you sent along with your donation. If you feel like you've been inspired by the Sourdough Podcast, please consider supporting it by visiting the sourdoughpodcast.com and clicking on the donate button in the top right corner. If you're short on cash, one of the most helpful things you can do to support the podcast is to share, rate, and review. If you want to see the Sourdough Podcast continue to grow and continue to bring you inspiring stories from our amazing community, please take a moment to share the podcast on Instagram or Facebook or rate and review it on iTunes. For example, one recent review on iTunes said, Listening to the struggles and successes of the bakers that are interviewed is truly inspiring and is truly a gift to anyone in the bread baking world. I am so thankful for this podcast. Uh, that was from Mel Rakes. Thank you, Mel. So please consider sharing, rating, or reviewing the podcast. The reviews especially go a long way, and I'd be very grateful for your support. And once again, be sure to stay tuned after the episode for another new single from Weston Perry's debut EP, From the Attic. And now, my interview with Justin Gomez. My guest today is Justin Gomez, owner of Humble Bakehouse in Martinez, California. Justin is a self-taught, community-supported baker and cottage food operator licensed in Contra Costa County. You can find Justin slinging dough out of his front door at pop-ups downtown and even on the streets on his bread bike, usually with his two young children, Eloise and Hudson, in tow. I've come to know Justin as a humble point of light in our little sourdough community, freely sharing his bread knowledge online. He's even created hashtag Team Rofco, a bread baker resource for Rofco oven owners. Justin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, as as we both uh, stated when we first got on, it's a little weird to like see someone, talk to someone in person that we, yeah. you know, have only ever communicated with on Instagram. <laughs> that's the cool part, though, when you take it to the next level. That's what oh, I'm yeah. We're, we're leveling up today. So. <laughs> so let's just jump right into it. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your background, uh, you know, prior to becoming a cottage baker. Um, 
what's what's kind of been some of your experiences uh, before you started slinging dough? Yeah, so my path to humble is an interesting one. I don't want to take it, you know, too far back, but my uh, my education and training. I have a bachelor's degree from Sacramento State uh, in tourism and hospitality. Growing up, my parents were travel agents. So we spent a lot of time traveling all over the country, all over the world. So I just kind of gained this appreciation for not just travel, but more so people. Um, And I chose Sacramento State. Growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, we spent a lot of time in South Lake Tahoe. And I love skiing and snowboarding. And Sacramento State seems like a logical choice if I wanted to... uh, be able to ski on the weekends yeah. or if I was able to get night classes lined up <laughs> ski before class which was awesome so um yeah I was up there and got my bachelor's degree in hospitality but really enjoyed like being a college student that I just kind of stuck around so <laughs> um I ended up working in higher education for about eight years after wow. I finished up at Sac State so Finished up at Sac State, was immediately brought on as an um, admissions and outreach counselor. So recruiting uh, prospective Sac State Hornets up and down California. All right. And that ended up leading to um, me getting my master's degree. So I went to uh, school at the University of the Pacific in Stockton in the Valley uh, and got my master's degree in educational administration and leadership, specifically in higher education and student affairs. So uh, what I would always joke about with people is, you know, I, I couldn't be in college forever, but I figured out how to work at one. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I bounced around after University of the Pacific. I was at Sonoma State for a handful of years um, and then also at the University of California, Berkeley. So that's so mainly, interesting. I, yeah. I feel like our circles could have crossed, you know, prior to me getting into what I'm doing now, I, or you know, before I came to stay at home, dad, I was also working in the university system, no way. admissions, and no UC way. San Diego, and no, uh, yeah, have been at a fair or something. And yeah, I feel like time. it's Maybe very possible. Yeah, we yeah. could have crossed paths before. We might so have to go deeper on that one. Day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you. So your um, background before Doe was in education. Yeah. What uh, What kind of started the gears turn and what what kind of led you down this path or or maybe like broader picture like you know what kind of qualities or interests experiences have you had that you feel like have kind of prepared you or or oriented you towards uh baking yeah so there was there was um when i was at uc berkeley uh this was four or five years ago we were finding out that um hudson was on the way And so we live in Martinez, which if you're familiar with the East Bay area, Berkeley is in the East Bay, but Martinez is like the far East Bay. Uh So I did a total career pivot and there was a local coffee shop that was hiring a manager. Uh, And I said, well, I could be a coffee shop manager and be a lot closer to home and we're a dual career household. So my wife works um, for uh, Kaiser in Oakland and we were both commuting. So I made the choice like, I'll work closer to home. It'll be more practical when we have a family. Mm. And it was it was in that time at the the coffee shop where I was kind of introduced to bread by a, a a coworker who told me about Josie Baker and I watched oh, yeah. Josie Baker's video. And I had also the Josie build a, builds a bakery. I think is what it's called. It's great if you haven't seen it. It's like a fourteen minute short, and it'll. Josie was a cottage baker back in the day, which was awesome. Oh, uh-huh. I'll, um, I'll, so, I'll have to find that. Yeah, so I was. 
just I was doing a lot of homemade pizza in an uni oven, and then the coworker told me about that that video. And um, one day I was making pizza when Hudson was just born. My mother in law's like, "What if you just throw leftover dough in that oven?" And I was like, "She's like, would it become bread?" And I was like, "Oh, probably." <laughs> so I threw it in the uni, and it was just this yeasted dough and pulled it out after a couple minutes had like a little dinner roll and i was like no way so between watching josie's video uh and that experience with the uni and picking up ken forkish uh his bread book like okay i was a pretty just intense hobby baker for the yeah almost three years leading into humble um what year what year was your son born kind of got it all started hudson was born in 2016 yeah so he's baking as a hobbyist for you yeah you've only been two and a half years two and a half years wow yeah so and it's the the naturally hashtag naturally leavened community even two and a half years ago was not as yeah it's changed so much and and so fast like i remember like i mean uh season adam adam pagore is really good about dming but DMing him all the time about uh-huh. stuff and bread by eye challenges and there's bacon. Yeah, I remember those. There's all this stuff going on and now it's just it's huge. It's so, so big. Yeah, you kind of like wish it can go back to the old days. And, yeah. And some, sometimes and like get those totally. challenges going again. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, just baked as a hobbyist and then um, I was only with that coffee shop for a short period of time. Small businesses are are just tough, but it kind of put me on a path to where I really enjoyed kind of having, you know, a, a non-traditional role in our household. My wife was mm-hmm. the, the breadwinner, as they say. Um, and I was picking up some consulting work here and there um, and also just baking the whole time. And then we kind of came to this crossroads where I was like, what was I going to do next? Mm-hmm. And by, mm-hmm. uh, by this point, Ellie had already been born. So this is, we have two kids now. Uh-huh. Um, and we're just kind of realizing for us and, and yeah. what was important in terms of our quality of life, having me more present in the households um, made sense. So I, I have been for the past two years working as a, a consultant for a, a county agency doing some outreach and education. It's a violence prevention office. Um, but that's all been part time, mostly from home, uh, you know, go to meetings, go to do stuff, you know, put on my my big boy college shirts when I have to. Um but we we figured that I could side hustle dough um, while also doing that, while also taking care of the kids. But it kind of came to a head yeah. most recently where Ellie's getting bigger, Hudson's getting bigger, and they just they demand a lot of attention. They don't nap as much as you want to. They they do demand so, a lot of attention. Yeah, and they just, re- and they change the the game. You know, it changes yeah. the equation real quick once you got littles running around. Yeah. And- so it's it's been interesting. Yeah, so Humble officially became a thing about a year ago when I decided, you know, I think every cottage baker has the same story. You give away so much bread <laughs> and everyone tells you to sell it. So I finally just wanted to do it legit, legit when random people who I didn't necessarily know were asking for bread. So pulled away. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's go back to that moment. Can you Do you remember the moment like in your mind that you kind of like turned that corner and you're yeah. just like, I'm doing this. Totally. Uh, was there was there like one particular epiphany you had or a moment or push? Yeah, it was. Um, we had taken when Eloise was born. So she's 18, 18 months now. See, we always forget what the second one. Uh, <laughs> so we had taken an extended um, baby leave. And so I had taken a leave from the consulting gig that I was working. And 
I was like, do I want to go back to the consulting gig or do we want to try something different? Do I want to try the bread? Um, mm-hmm. And that was, that was it. Like if we could do the bread, let's do it. But then we figure out, you know, in order for things to pencil out, watch the kids, I can't make, I wasn't totally comfortable, um, you know, fully ramping up production and having, because we live in the San Francisco Bay area. So things have to pencil out. Yeah. So I kept doing the consulting gig, but wanted to grow humble on the side. And really that just came out of um, knowing that eventually I could move away from the consulting gig entirely. Um, and as I kind of got more comfortable with bread and eventually upgraded to the Rothko, which I've had for mm-hmm. it'll be a year in November, then humble could be kind of more of a, a way to contribute to our household financially while also being present and engaged um, in the way that I wanted to be as a stay-at-home father. So things have kind of dovetailed nicely and I'm transitioning out of that consulting gig uh, in just a couple of weeks and it'll be all kids full all time, time with yeah. their, scheduling dough around, you know, oh, man. preschool pickups and nap times and things <laughs> like that, which, which I think move. I have a handle on, but I think it'll work. And it really just kind of comes out of um, really that coffee shop experience. When mm-hmm. I was managing that coffee shop, I really found that I loved engaging with people uh, in a day-to-day and having my yeah. regulars. And- well, it really comes out even on your Instagram profile. Like, you know, right. you just could tell this guy loves people. <laughs> he loves interacting. He loves totally. connecting. Yeah. And I think that all goes even back to what I initially went to school for. My like, you know, quote unquote traditional schooling was in hospitality. So that just mm-hmm. kind of came full circle and humble was an excuse to, get back to those relationships and those interactions that I was having in that coffee shop setting uh, on my own terms as a a cottage baker. Yeah. So unique to cottage baker or not specifically unique, but it, it, because it's in your own household, Mm -hmm. it's, you cannot separate it from family. Totally. Um, What were their, your wives, your, your relatives, your close family, what, what was, their initial feelings or thoughts about you pursuing this sounds like obviously they're yeah. supportive, but yeah, what yeah. was, what were their uh, thoughts on it? They're excited for sure. Um, my family as raised by, um, my mom and dad, they immigrated here from the Philippines. My mom, when she was 13, my dad, uh, when he was 20 and they've always just hustled like, um, to this day, they have never, um, not been their own bosses. They've always been small business owners. So wow. when I was just baking as a, a hobbyist, like people would always be like, sell your bread, sell your bread. I'm just like, no, no, I got so much work. It's not even that good. Like, do you see the stuff people are posting on Instagram? Like my bread's terrible. <laughs> so, you know, they were, my parents were super supportive. Um, I, have, I have two brothers and we're all kind of cut from the same cloth in terms of, you know, how we were brought up by our, our small business owner parents. It was, we were just really excited to do our own things. And so, you know, my brothers pushed me also to, take that entrepreneurial leap. And Mm. when you look at the cottage setup, as opposed to, you know, people who are considering opening a full scale retail bakery, like the startup cost is, is really minimal. I mean, you can pull, you can pull the licensing and the insurance and, you know, do your marketing and packaging on a shoestring budget. I think my startup cost just to do it legitimately was like less than a thousand dollars, which in terms of like becoming a small business owner, yeah, um, that's good. To, pretty, that's good information easy, to know. Yeah. Pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, state of California, depending on the county, like my actual license, I think the initial fee was like less than 
$500. And just to play it safe, I carry cottage bakery insurance. That's another $300 through the food liability insurance program and, you know, Squarespace and things like that. Instagram's free. Yeah. Like if you have a certain savvy or friends who are design oriented, like creating a brand is, is pretty easy. And the way I look at branding, it's, you know, you don't have to shell out for a graphic designer. Your brain is really who you are and how you interact with people. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm trying to be really conscious about with, with what humble is. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of misconceptions maybe about cottage bakers or like, you know, from people outside of the community, have you had any experiences with that? Or what, what do you think, what would you say is maybe somebody, somebody who you know shows up at your door or, or messages you, who's not really, yeah. you know, in the know or, or, you know, ever even heard of a cottage baker? What are just like some common misconceptions? Yeah, I think people don't realize like we're legitimate licensed uh-huh. establishments. Like <laughs> we are, I am fully on the radar of the county health department uh-huh. I have to renew my license annually. I have um, food safety cards and then I, you know, the, the food preparation stuff, all those, the food retail code, like that applies. And as mm. cottage bakers, we kind of have to adapt and abide to those health and safety restrictions within a, a domestic setting. But we're, if, if you're, if you're doing it right, you're, you're doing it safe. I remember there was an article recently um, that popped up about cottage food operations and people were just like totally railing. I'm like, I would never eat food out of <laughs> someone's house. No, And it's just like, I mean, people are, there's a certain degree of risk that every cottage baker, any cottage food producer is accepting, uh-huh. you know, building a livelihood on a home-based business. So I, I feel like most people who are doing it legitimately and some people who are, you know, just doing it kind of under the radar, like you're putting food in people's mouths. Like you're not going to take any risks in terms of the safety. And if you're a cottage bread baker, like those ovens are pretty hot. Like even if you were doing it a little bit more questionably, um, you know, it's the, the reason that initially cottage food operations were only non-hazardous foods was to mitigate that risk. So, yeah, yeah. There, I pride myself on all of my health and safety procedures to make sure I'm putting a product that I'm comfortable with. Uh, yes, in the public realm. Well, you, and I certainly can see the pride in your, you know, when I visit your website. I, you know, I could just sense that pride in your in your Thank own you. business and 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 what you're doing. And um, and I guess that's what I love about cottage bakeries in general is that they're also different in the sense that they, you know, reflect the uniqueness of their owner you know, right down to their core values and beliefs. They can, you know, it's right out of their home. It's, you know, it's, they can uh, put out there whatever they want with their own business, you know. And and I know one of those values that, you know, um, one might glean from your bakery name is humility, staying humble. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell us about what that means to you? Yeah. So, if you go to humblebakehouse.com, we do spell out all of our values and stay humble is for sure one of those. Uh, growing up, humility was a big thing that my parents really impressed upon me. Um, in Tagalog, in Filipino, there's there's a, a word called yabang. Uh, and yabang's like, uh, you know, braggadocious, just like, you know, it, you don't want to be that person um, mm-hmm. who's just, you know, you're good and you tell everyone you're good and then nobody likes you because you're yabang. So that was something <laughs> my parents really impressed upon me. And so humble and humility was something um, 
Yabang that yeah bakehouse doesn't have the same ring. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little different. Not a lot of people know Tagalog um, as diverse as California is, but you know, it essentially my mom would always tell us, don't be Yabang. Like, you know, whether we got an A on a test That's when we were kids or we were really good at sports, like she yeah. always, you know, just kept us grounded. And I think when you look at what naturally leavened bread, what sourdough bread is, like you can get humbled real quick. Um, mm. And there's pro bakers out there. People are doing it at, at a much higher level than, than I am. And you, you, I, I so appreciate those posts when bakers are just like, I messed up. Yeah. Like I didn't put salt in the mix or like something was wrong with this batch of flour or this or that, because yeah, you can be crushing it bake after bake after bake. And then one misstep or you getting too comfortable or trying to do too many different things. Like, it'll knock you back to square run real quick and just teach you that like bread and sourdough specifically is, is, is a, a fierce teacher. And if you mm-hmm. come at it without, you know, the time and attention to detail, like you'll get humbled in a second. So I think, you know, branding that with humble is kind of a nod to my family uh, and my, my roots and, you know, my mom keeping us, keeping us uh, grounded as kids, but also, just something that's so unique to the process of, of baking naturally eleven sourdough breads. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, and I know from last season, you know, there's just so much interest uh, from my audience and out there in general, I think in, in cottage food operations and uh, you know, how do they, how do you guys do what you do? What advice do you have? Um, you've kind of touched on a little bit of the costs associated with starting up. And so I thought maybe we could spend uh, some time yeah. talking about that operation um, specific to your bakehouse and, mm-hmm. you know, how you do things um, at Humble Bakehouse. And so maybe maybe the first question I think maybe a lot of people have um, that might be familiar or not familiar with it, the process is, is just the becoming a, a legal cottage bakery. You know, it, it varies from state to state. It varies from county to county. Uh, you know, uh, at Adventures with Artemis, uh, one of our guest questions was, are there, you know, restrictions or things to be mindful of to keep uh, your legal cottage status? Of course, in, in your county, in my county, in California, there's, there's a whole, you know, mm-hmm. registration process and, yeah. you know, multiple page uh, yeah. checklist and application to go through what was your experience with that yeah so um in california there are two types of licenses a class a and a class b uh i am licensed as a class a cottage food operation which is direct consumer sales if you're a class b operation you're allowed to do uh wholesale relationships the the biggest difference is your relationship with the health department so for me as a class a i self-certify so there's like a full checklist of things that i say yes i have clean, potable water. Um, I wash, rinse, and sanitize all my dishes. All the stuff is Mm -hmm. stored in food-safe containers, yada, yada, yada. So that's all done, you know, scouts honor. Um, And I do actually do all those things because like I said, you know, we're more proud of the safe food product we're putting out into the world. And then the class B, because there's a wholesale relationship, um, and I would assume they're just thinking you're putting more food in the public, so the probability of risk happening, um, they require an annual health inspection. So in Contra Costa County, I had to pull the license um, through the county. I had to get a business license through my city and what's called the home occupation permit. So I can run a business from my home in little old Martinez, California. And that whole process really took, 
I would say less than two, just about, yeah, just about two weeks. Um, that's how long the turnaround was to get my, you know, license in the mail. Really? Okay. That's surprising. Um, I would have so, yeah. thought it would have been four to right? six weeks or something like yes. that. I mean, it might be in some other yeah. local governments, but I was, I was shocked at, at how fast it moved. So yeah. Um, and then talking to other uh, cottage bakers about additional things that they do, like Antigua Artisan, Steve down in, in SoCal, he recommended pulling uh, insurance. So mm. I, I'm covered uh, by the Food Liability Insurance Program. So that's like a $300 investment. And it's just, you know. Is that a year, a month? A year. Yeah. A year. So okay. if something does happen, you know, worst case scenario, my kids throw a Lego or something in the dough and someone bites into it and you know, I feel like that hopefully is, is covered, but yeah, I, I, I feel good knowing that I'm doing everything. Yeah. Cause I don't think that's something book. that's like specifically written out in yeah, it's, the it's county required. requirements. No, right? no, it's, it's something that I think in our packet, they like recommend getting insured and it's, yeah, you know, I talked to my actual, um, like homeowners insurance and they were like, wait, what are you doing? Like, and they're like, this is your quote. Cause they like to them, they're insuring a bakery. Like they don't get it. And I'm like, well, like that's way too much, but, uh, flip the food liability insurance program. I think they're, they understand what they're getting into when they insure a cottage bakery. So it's very affordable at, at $300 a year in California. And I think it's, it's probably a national program too. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think that's some good information, yeah. um, to put out there. Um, what so what's on your menu? What kind of breads are you making? Are you a sourdough only operation? Yeah, pretty um, much just sourdough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what kind of led you to that menu? Yeah, I think just it's the easiest. Uh and I'm self-taught. I, everything I know about bread I've learned from Instagram and a few books that are <laughs> way overdue from the library. Um Yeah, I think I do make like one cookie like it's literally a, a what i call my classic country loaf it's it's 20 percent fresh milled local grain bread flour and a you know five percent rye uh and then i have so that's what all of my subscribers get once a week is the country loaf and then i'll do i have a sesame loaf that's um fluctuates but that's that's uh, usually has a pretty high percentage of whole grain and i'm working on a cinnamon raisin and a different kind of multifaceted seeded loaf but yeah that's it for the bread and they're all either a, a bull or batard I'm, I'm dabbling in in tinned loaves um but really haven't put in the time to get really comfortable with and yeah this one cookie that honestly i don't know it's probably a slim amount of customers that listen to this a cookie that i hate making <laughs> but people love it and i hate making it so because it's it's a brown butter chocolate chip is it a too diff- is it a challenge or is it out of your comfort it's zone? Or? Not, it's, it's not as, it's not as fun. Like okay. you kind of know what you're getting into with cookie dough. Like you mix the dough, freeze the dough, you bake it, you know, like as long as your ratios were right and you can kind of control a little bit more for whether you want it thick or chewy or this or that with, you know, your, it's just not as exciting. And- yeah. And, and people, I have one of my good <laughs> friends just tells me to stop baking bread and just sell the cookies and i'm like dude come on and he's just like you even know me the cookie but yeah it's just it doesn't have the the mystique or that you know when i open the oven and there's cookies in it i'm not like excited when you open your dutch oven and you see how your bread bloomed you know yeah yeah. that's pretty much it so pretty narrow um 
you know, I have hopes to maybe do pastry one day. So that'll be in like five years when I learn how to do pastry on my own. Yeah. But yeah pretty much a handful of bread offerings. And, a okay. and then how many, bacon. how many loaves a week are you baking? Yeah. So right now for a subscription, uh, it's pretty small. It's only, it's, it's 24 loaves. I have 24 subscribers. Um, and I deliver locally to, it's roughly like a one and a half mile radius to my house. But now wrapping up that, that other part-time work that was, was just taking up other time that I wanted to be baking. I hope to, to ramp that up to like 36 to 48. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean that I can't really wrap my mind around that. I just started baking eight loaves a week, you know, a few weeks ago and I'm just, it's like, uh, you know, I'm starting to get more comfortable with it. And, uh, but you know, every time you kind of double your batch and you know, quantity load, like everything changes all, you know, all the factors, all the, the temperature, I found the water content yeah. changes, the fermentation time. Yeah. It's just, you know, every time yeah. you switch one thing, you got to learn all over again. Totally, totally. And I mean, I'm hand mixing everything. So like hand mixing, you know, 12, 12 kilograms Ooh, of dough yeah. as opposed to, you know, when I started out with subscription, I had eight subscribers and seven of, with, seven of them are still with me to this day, which is great. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, I feel like slow growth is taking those huge leaps, I think, is what is where you have those humbling experiences where it's like, okay, like, you know, I messed up there. So yeah, 24 loaves. And then I try to do a pop up a month. And when you do the pop ups, I'll bake a lot of those cookies. <laughs> um, like a definitely, I think last time I did like 16, uh, like 20 dozen cookies. And then like, like 60 loaves of bread wow. and that's like that's wild even with a rough oven uh-huh. so yeah when you see like you wrapping your head around those numbers like for me when i see other people talking about bread in the hundreds and the thousands yeah. i'm yeah. just like what but then they have like multi-deck ovens and like robot loaders and stuff like that so yeah, yeah. It, it keeps going and going bigger and bigger so yeah, it's it's fun and it's definitely it's taken me a long time to get comfortable uh, mm-hmm. with those those quantities for sure. One quick announcement coming soon to the Sourdough Podcast Shop. I'm super excited to share a special collaboration I've been working on with Tyler over at the Wire Monkey Shop on a special edition Sourdough Podcast UFO Lom. A portion of every Lom sold will go to supporting the production of the podcast. So now you can score your perfect loaf with a beautiful and super functional wooden lom handcrafted by Tyler while listening to and supporting your favorite sourdough-themed podcast. What could be better? So head over to the sourdoughpodcast.com backslash shop and get your limited edition sourdough podcast UFO lom. One thing we've kind of touched on a little bit, and I know you and me have, have uh, messaged each other a little bit about is... And you've, you've even put this out on Instagram is kind of yeah. like you're changing flour needs, um, acquiring the, the right type of grain that you need, local grain, you know, yeah. sourcing your grain. Um, how have, you know, as you have grown in size and bread output, how have your flour needs changed and yeah. um, what kind of challenges have you come across? Totally. So I, when I was first starting out, um, I was just buying flour from the local Whole Foods, which pro tip, uh, if you're in California and you, you buy 
organic flour from Whole Foods or a Safeway chain. It is actually Central Milling brand flour. Sorry. Wow. It's yet. The Central Milling actually kind of alludes to it in their frequently asked questions. Um, but yeah, I believe it's their beehive blend. Sorry, I don't, I don't know. Another secret. But they told me. They confirmed. They didn't say it was a secret. But sorry, it's using that as a bread flour. Um, and then I hadn't really gotten into the local grain stuff until a couple months um, and it, it, the local grain stuff really started last September when I was at a grain gathering with the California Grain Campaign, uh, which is up Full Belly Farm. And I was able to get my hands on one to spend the whole day lurking, learning about local grain economies, but then also being able to get my hands on um, some local pre milled flours. So I started slowly including that uh, into my loaves. And you know, I was fortunate to pick up a mock mill not too many months ago. So now I'm, I'm fresh milling, which definitely adds a, a different experience. But I think the biggest challenge as a cottage baker is storage and space and, and minimums. Um, production retail bakeries are buying like hundreds and hundreds of pounds at once. Like if I'm buying, you know, more than five or six, you know, 50 pound bags, like I got to find a place to put it. So Mm-hmm. trying to n- navigate that um, and find growers who are willing to sell local grain at a quantity that I'm looking for, um, but also um, really what what will pencil out. Because in terms of local grain and farmers that are growing it and, and what's available, um, you just got to make sure it's not going to affect your bottom line. But mm. ultimately, it's, it's a choice that you need to make in terms yeah. of how good do you want your bread to be? And can you do that customer education where this bread is mm. going to be way more than you're going to pay for, you know, a loaf from a huge production bakery that's fresh baked at, at the local market. But it's, I can tell you that Adam from TNA Farms delivered this to my front door. Like, and that is a true story. Adam from TNA Farms delivered a bag of uh, Yakura Roja to so my jealous. house, so to jealous. my house last <laughs> November. And I loved working with that flour. Protein yeah. content was insane. But I think those are the types of stories that if we're, we're bakers and we're using local grain and we can sh- highlight not just what it does to our bread, but also the people behind it, like that's when the consumer is like, I'm okay paying much more for that because I know what's in it and I know what it takes for that grain to turn into flour to get into that loaf that's landing on the table. Are you aiming for a certain percentage, like a benchmark? Of At least that- all- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, local grain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so California Grain Campaign has a, the 20 by 20 goal. So it's just pushing bakers and also, you know, anyone who's using flour, that 20% of your product includes local grain. So any loaf that's coming out of Humble Bakehouse is including a minimum of 20% local grain, whether that's fresh milled or something that I got local flour pre-milled from someone like uh, Kate Bay Mills, who I haven't gotten flour from from a long time. Um, but another great grower and miller yeah. here in Northern California. We're really fortunate to have the agricultural scene that we have. Um, so yeah, it's really yeah. Cool. And then you're, I mean, you're in the Bay Area, so it's yeah. not that far, you know, removed from like farmers markets up in you know San Francisco or Oakland. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, as as we've talked about, it gets a little harder the the further you get out of the Bay Area, yeah. even even yeah. though you know. California Central Valley is, you know, um, you know, 
one of the biggest, you know, producing yeah. agricultural areas in the world. Yeah. Um, it could still be hard to, to find local flour. Yeah. And hopefully, I, yeah, I think I, you know, one would hope that it's changing bit by bit, but I guess one of the things that I've learned is it's for the farmer and the grower, like it, Growing green hasn't made sense, but it seems like that tide is starting to change as more and more bakeries are picking up new American stone mills or, you know, wanting to source really yeah. good stuff. Nan Kohler from Griston Toll um, at that green gathering last September said, wheat is the last thing in the farm to table movement. And that's something that I always think about mm. because a lot of people think about bread and like, cool, I bought it from a local baker. And like, that's great. You're supporting a local baker but where did he get the flour? Yeah, like, yeah. How local is it? So that's something I try to be conscious of and hopefully get people to think about as well. Mm-hmm. And, and how have your customers, have you, have they responded in a particular way to that, you know, that higher 20%, you know, whole grain? Uh, is it something that they are, they notice? Is that something they comment on or? I think some do. Some don't like some are just like bread's still great. And I'm like, but I increased the, you know, <laughs> there's a little bit more patwin than last yeah. time or something. But then I think some people who do have a little bit more refined palate, like they can definitely be like, Oh yeah, I picked up on these notes or that notes. I myself like definitely don't have like a really fine tuned palate. Um, so I love getting, getting that feedback. Um, but I think, you know, oftentimes when people buy local or buying from a small business in general, um, they're just really appreciative to know that there's intentionality behind yeah. where things are, are sourced from, because oftentimes you are paying a little bit more. I charge mm-hmm. $8 for a loaf of bread, which there's people who would be like, what? Like $8? Like there's people charging up to $12 for a loaf of bread in the San Francisco Bay area. And I think that $12 is well worth it because of not just the effort on the baker's part, but because of the intentionality of the sourcing of those ingredients. Yeah, that, so, that added yeah. value that you're not going to find in the supermarket and totally, education totally. and supporting yeah. your local grain economy. Yeah. So, you know, we've you know, kind of touched a little bit on your the ports of your family, but I was hoping we can maybe talk a little bit about your local community there. Um, what does it mean to be a community-supported baker to you? Yeah. Justin Gomez. Yeah. So for me, when people ask about, you know, like how did humble get off the ground? Like, how do you market yourself? I would say the biggest question I get is about marketing. Um, and I would say for me being a community supported baker, it's not necessarily like marketing, you know, all those buzzwords about, you know, fresh home baked local, local, local. It, to me, being a community supported baker is cultivating relationships. Mm. Like it's, it's not localized Instagram ads. It's not a, a cool sticker or, you know, you paid a graphic designer this much and this much for your brand. It's really ingraining yourself, pun intended, I suppose, in your community. Um, and so all of my subscribers, it's not just, you know, they get a loaf home delivered on their doorstep one day a week. But I, I know their stories. I know what's been going on with them because I get to talk to them when I drop off the loaf. Not all of them, some of them. Some of them I've honestly never seen because their work schedules don't sync up with the bread delivery. But it's being a community-supported baker means you support the people in your community. And just by being a friend, just by being a good neighbor, um, that's one of the things I've really, really appreciated about 
humble is how it's allowed me to just get to know people who I probably used to see around town all the time and never really knew. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've come to know me, you know, as, as, as their bread guy, but also a member of their community who's trying to bring a service that is um, hopefully a, a benefit to them in terms of the role bread plays in their household. Um, whether it means they're going to have, they're all going to be able to have homemade grilled cheese and sit down to dinner as a family that night, or they're going to use that loaf to bring to um, a special, meaningful family function later that yeah. weekend. Like it, it allows me to play a role by way of the bread um, in their lives and in, in the day to day. Like it, it's not just, it's not just a product. It's a means for totally doing things around the act of baking, breaking bread that are, are sometimes very special. Yeah, you, you couldn't have said it better. I just, you know, I, I just had that conversation with another baker in town and just talking about how, how bread just has this unique way of building bridges that, you know, would not be available, you know, otherwise. Yeah, I mean, for me, like if I'm being totally honest, like the bread is completely secondary to like why I'm doing it. Like, I love it. I love baking the bread. I have a lot of fun doing it, but I so much more love how it's allowed me to really get to know neighbors. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just so cool. It's, you know, I think a lot of times, particularly in the San Francisco Bay area where people do live in really close quarters, like you can go years without talking to people that you see every day. And now I feel like I have so many familiar faces, not just regular subscribers, mm-hmm. uh, but people who've come to pop-ups or people who've done special orders or they got a loaf gifted to them from someone else. And it's like, it was, it was something that I created with my hands in my home with the labor of love from a mm-hmm. local farmer. And now it's been this catalyst for me making a connection with that individual. Yeah. Those are the, that's, that's what, to me, that's what it's all about. Like, yeah. it's so cool. I know. And I, I feel like so lucky to like, I, I, I just moved. So on, on a personal note, like I, you know, I just moved to a, a, this town, Turlock, California, kind of small rural uh, farming community in the Central Valley, you know, this summer. And I've just, you know, we don't know anybody. We're, mm-hmm. we're kind of starting over. We just, you know, we moved from San Diego and, you know, I, and I, I just decided one day, hey, why don't I just start like connecting with people in the area? Yeah. Seeing if they want to trade some bread for, you know, something cool that they're oh, doing, yeah. whether it's a CSA or honey growers or. Uh, and, yeah, and, the, and the it's bartering just been, is so cool. Bartering oh, man. And so it's fun. just opened up this window that it's just blown me away. Like, you know, I, I'm meeting neighbors that I would have never met that are mm-hmm. like a block away that do some really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, really great people. And just because I have a piece of bread that yeah. I made in my kitchen, yeah, it just opens up that this avenue of, uh, community. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's blown me away. And, and yet, you know, I know more about that, you know, a uh, special connection. Yeah. Yeah. Probably most people do. Totally. Um, totally. Being able to talk to all you guys, um, on the You're gonna be having pizza parties. Everyone's gonna know you real quick with that new wood fired oven. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I need to learn how to not burn burn the pizza first. 
Um, well, speaking of ovens and you, you know, you started uh, hashtag Team Rothko. Yeah, and, so I can't uh, take I can't take full credit for Team okay. Rothko. I think it was around, and I think uh, Tim Pell eight hundred because I've I've looked because I've been throwing it around for a while, but I'm like, where did this even come from? I think yeah, he's over in Europe. Okay, somewhere. Tim Pell eight hundred was the one who started. I think he has two Rothkos, and he is a cottage baker. So oh, cool. I got to give credit where credit. Well, I'll have to link them in here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, well, I I came across it through you and through your Instagram handle, and it's it's like a, it's a resource for other Rothko bakers. What first of all, can you tell us what a Rothko is for people who aren't yeah. you know, and uh, and what you kind of put together for this community of cottage bakers? Yeah. So um, the a Rothko oven. There's various sizes that have been released over the years, but is it is essentially a a electric hearth oven i guess is the best way i would i could describe it um made in belgium and cottage bakeries and even like full-on retail production bakeries have been using them all over the world um for it comes in in multiple sizes but the one that's most popular and the biggest size is the rothko b40 uh so it's three decks um and they have a a really thick refractory brick on each deck there's no steam injection, so everyone is hacking ways left and right <laughs> about how to get steam uh, in their oven. But it's it's honestly probably one of the most affordable, probably the best ovens on the market um, for someone who wants to bake bread at home at any reasonable scale. So before I was baking loaves in Dutch ovens, two loaves at a time in my home oven. So when I would go to a pop-up with 14 loaves of bread, I spent like Ooh, yeah. seven hours baking. I got up at like two in the morning so I could be at the pop-up at a reasonable time. Um, but I was very fortunate in, uh, to be able to acquire a Rothko. Um, yeah, last November. And it's funky. Like every oven is, is different. All the brick is always a little bit different. Some people have hot spots. Some people don't. Some people hack them where... They need to elevate their decks a little bit because there's these heating elements and sometimes the bottom deck runs way too hot. So it's it's the learning curve is steep um, and there's oftentimes a waiting period for a Rothko in the U.S. because wow. Pleasant Hill Grain, which is the U.S. distributor, uh, I think I waited three months for my Rothko to come. Really? So I had three months to pick the brains of other Rothko bakers. So um Lizzie's Bakehouse, which is up in Sacramento, uh, she was excellent. Lyshen, she's awesome. Uh, Jeff McCarthy with Bread Service, also a huge resource. Those were probably, I found about Jeff through uh, Lyshen uh, and really just picked their brains about Rothko's a lot before mine even came. So I think the learning curve was much gentler uh, on me because they were such a, a wealth of knowledge. So I would get a lot of questions as Rothko's were landing all across the country or all around the world. Just, you know, mm. do pictures or the team Rothko hashtag people would find me and I would get questions. So through the magic of Google docs um, <laughs> and also a combination of like, just getting a little bit uh, like telling people the same thing over and over. I was like, there's gotta be even more Rothko knowledge out there. I started the team Rothko bread baker resources resource which is housed on humblebakehouse.com and it's basically just a depository for people to to share how they bake with their Rothkos, what they're baking with their Rothkos. Because everyone's bread's different. Everyone mm-hmm. the the size, the hydration, this and that. So time and temperatures are going to fluctuate depending on what you're baking. 
Uh, and like I said, I only bake a handful of bread. So hopefully that resource, which I think last time I checked has submissions from 16 different bakers from all awesome. over the world. Um, that's just a jumping off point for people who are, who are going for that first bake. Cause yeah, it's wild going from Dutch ovens or however you hacked your home oven to this big multi-deck oven that you have to use a garden sprayer or a steam chair <laughs> to like, you know, get that, get that humidity in there you need for that crust. Uh, it's weird. It's yeah. super weird. Well, as, as is the case with just artisan bread baking, sourdough baking totally. in general, totally. it's all a learning curve. And yeah. Yeah. But that's what's so amazing about our community and uh, bakers like you. It's just they're so um, generous with their sharing of information and yeah. whether it's on Instagram or Google Docs. It's just, yeah. there's yeah. just no judgment. It's such a humble group of people yeah. um, out there that, you know, are just so happy to like drop a DM, like if you, if you ask a question and, and, uh, and so that's something like, I, I really love about our community and um, you know, I feel like you're definitely part of that. Uh, Thank you. A leader in that, in our community. And so I yeah, you know, as we were wrapping it up here, uh, I know your wife's getting back from tar uh, target. target right. and my, my wife is ready to, uh, to trade off as well. Probably yeah. judging by the screams in the background. <laughs> um but yeah, no, no. I just want to thank you, Justin, for for your yeah. time coming on. I wanted totally. to give you a, a opportunity to, you know, how tell our audience how they can connect with you. What's the best way for them to find you and your bread if yeah. they wanted to get their yeah. hands on some humble bakehouse loaves? Totally, totally. Instagram, yeah, definitely. Instagram is the the quickest way. I do do I dabble in Facebook, but Instagram is probably where you're going to get the most real time response. And uh, howdy at humblebakehouse.com is my email. Uh, pretty attentive there as well for some of those longer form inquiries that people might have. Punching away at a phone sometimes gets a little tricky and there's lots of typos. So yeah, if you have lots of questions, I'm, I'm always happy to answer them uh, as quickly as I possibly can. You working on any other projects you want to uh, share with our audience? Yeah, so um, I started Know Your Baker at Know Your Baker on Instagram Yeah, just a couple months ago. Uh, and that really just kind of came out of with the the growth we were talking about within the naturally leavened Instagram community. Like there's a lot of great looking crumb shots out there, but I just wanted to know what people looked like who were, who were making the bread and kind of get to know their stories. Like your podcast is really great for getting to know the insight and the journeys and things like that. Um, but you'd be making a lot of podcasts if I was able to learn every single story that's out there. So the know your baker. So many great stories yeah, out there. Yeah, the the know your baker account was just kind of my way to, um, I kind love of it. Share the stories of other people who, yeah, are make are doing cool stuff and and also just um, you know, put a face to the bread. I guess like if you do the submission form, it's like when you send pictures, please include a picture that has your face because yeah, I just like to know we all have so beautiful true. smiling faces or tired faces because we're bakers, but. And I'm yeah. not gonna lie, I'll, I go through your your that feed. I'm like, all right, I, I want to get to know. I want to I want to interview this person. I want to hear their story. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, there's really cool stories cool out resource. there. And it's all submission based, so it kind of petered out for a little bit because I didn't have enough submissions, and also managing multiple Instagram accounts is hard. But hoping to to ramp back up. Yeah, man. With some of the submissions that have accumulated. 
All right. Well, hey, Justin, I just wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast. You know, this is, uh, it's been so fun for me. It always is getting to talk to people who I've had so many interactions with on Instagram. And uh, I just wanted to say thanks again for all you do and just your, yeah, your humble, generous presence in our, in our great little sourdough community. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. gotten into you See, I haven't really been myself at all She's breaking down my wall Couldn't trade anything The best thing in my life